always great to beat the Cubs. And I'm a homer, so I always say the gun up. Dallas Keiko lands some guys up here. You should be afraid of. What everybody said when he gets out there, it's me versus the other guy, and I'm going to beat him. So I just love that mentality. It's cool and fucking tough. Steve, Steve, would you say that Tony is mad online? I, I would definitely say that. The White Sox winner. Hello, White Sox fans, and welcome in to the first Sox on Tap podcast of 2023. Steve, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to all the listeners. We're back here to talk some White Sox baseball. How you doing today, Steve? Hey, yo, Anthony. I'm doing well. As you mentioned, it is a new year, new me, all that bullshit. Let's have some fun. New year, new you. That's that's good to know. Um, you got any you know New Year's resolutions around the the new and improved NWI, Steve? You know, I got out of the resolution business a long time ago, but um, you know what I would just like to see happen this year is I would like to see the White Sox put more numbers in that left hand column. The left hand column makes me very happy. So. If Fair the White enough. Sox can play, if the White Sox can do their job in that aspect of it, I think it could be could be fun back at the ballpark again. And you might just see some shenanigans from me on Twitter.com again. Who knows? No. It could happen. Yeah, that, that's fair. I'm I'm glad that you're uh, a new you, a new version of yourself. We're gonna have a new White Sox season to talk about here soon. We've got a new left fielder as well uh, that we're gonna talk about here today. Although. So sort of a delayed signing, and Steve and I were talking a little bit about this, uh, why it took so long to become official. Obviously, press conference today for Mr. Andrew Benintendi uh, was announced. We got some Rick Hahn comments to kind of dissect, uh, but that's our first order of business here, Steve. We're going to talk about new things in the new year, and that is right off the bat, Andrew Benintendi, like I said, announced today. Let's hear some thoughts. You know, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago last time we were on here. It's a move. It it qualifies as that. Uh, does it check a couple of boxes? Yeah. Left-hand hitting guy who will take walks and get on base at a 350 clip throughout the course of his career. So that's a positive. We've seen varying defensive metrics. So a little bit of a mixed bag there. Precipitous decline in his power over the last couple of years. So there's good and bad to come along with this. The five-year contract length is one that gives me a little bit of pause, if I'm being completely honest with you. But if nothing else, I mean, it's a competent left fielder, and it will effectively take away Aloy Jimenez's glove, which I know is another topic we're going to get to later on here tonight. But it's fine. It's not going to move the needle a ton, but it's fine. Well, I mean, we, we've kind of hashed a lot of those opinions out. I think we're we're sort of past it. I like the move, personally. Um, I, I do have some concerns about the length uh, as well. Um, and, you know, it, there were some comments today from Mr. Benintendi himself um, when he was asked about, you know, being the highest paid player in franchise history. And, um, you know, he, he was pretty humble about it. I, I think that, uh, you know, it, it's it's got to be – interesting to be Andrew Benintendi and be asked that question. Um, so uh, as you said, it's a fine move. I think it's, it's kind of graded on a bell curve. I think I saw a good thread from uh, Albert Pujols. 
uh, Albert Bell? Yes, Albert Bell. Um, <laughs> speaking of largest contracts in, in franchise history, yes, you have to grade the Benintendi contract on a bell curve. That's perfect. Um, I think I saw a good thread from Penals the other day about how uh, just sort of the same way that, that you feel, Steve, where when the White Sox go out and make this move, it should be a solid addition for other teams. Um, and it is for the White Sox, but here we are faced with this is our largest contract that we've ever handed out. Um, I was intrigued by Rick Hahn's comments uh, that came from, I believe, Vinny Duber uh, tweeted it out yesterday um, that Hahn had introduced, you know, Benintendi and said, I've been waiting like seven years uh, to, to have you on this ball club. Um, and just the first thing, Steve, if Kenny always got his guy, is, is Rick Hahn now on the Kenny Williams got to go get your guy plan? Is that why we have Mr. Andrew Benintendi on the sell side? I mean, one could certainly argue that. And listen, we all know that the White Sox like to keep everything in the family. They like to keep things business as usual. So if Kenny always got his guy, I think it's only fair that Rick eventually gets you know, one or two or a couple, two tree of his guys. So I, I think that's fair. One other little interesting facet of this announcement press conference that took place today, press conference that wasn't televised on a regional sports network that Jerry Reinsdorf owns 40% of because we had to have, you know, fantasy football minute on instead of, this press conference to introduce Andrew Benatendi. I know we talk a lot and you led into the show about. You might want to save that grievance for like a whole nother year, Steve. You've oh, no, oh, no, 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 no. We're starting hot. We're okay. starting hot here. Okay. Because, you know, I know I said earlier, new year, new me, all that bullshit. One thing that will remain constant. One thing that will always remain the same is my hatred, my deep Deep-seated hatred for his for, for the his bane financial system of my existence. Yes, Jerry Reinsdorf. Fuck you. Yeah, you. Uh, you just uh, new year, new you. Same, same, same you is what I'm getting out of this. Um, but uh, how much do you think Rick Hahn celebrated getting his guy? I mean, I think, you know, he probably went out and, you know, maybe did um, put together an algorithm of some sort before watching, um, you know, Michigan lose in the college football semifinal and, you know, exchanging text messages with Scott Merkin over while they cried um, over the unfortunate nature of that, which is just a real tough scene. But, you know, I'm, I'm sure Rick was very happy. I mean, it had to be the, the most happy he's been. He's getting everything on his wish list right now. He's got Pedro Grafal. He's got Andrew Benintendi. This, everything's coming up Rick Hahn these days. Uh, let's hope that it comes up with White Sox wins. As you said, you want more things in the, uh, the left-hand column than the right-hand column. Let's hope that that all equates. But, Steve, overall, uh, the Benintendi signing, it's announced. It's official. Nobody's swooping in and, and grabbing Andrew Benintendi. We're stuck with him for five years for better or for worse. Um, hopefully it's for better. That said, you mentioned that this move is going to take away Eloy Jimenez's glove. And this is something that I was very, very happy with and why I think that this move is going to be super beneficial for the Chicago White Sox. I, I 
think that uh, we've all had enough of these left field experiments that have been going on. Um, it's been sort of a revolving door between Andrew Vaughn. Uh, you had Pollock in there for a little while. You've seen Eloy try and man the position. Um, Lurie Garcia has been trotting around out there from, from time to time. It's been too many left fielders. According to Pedro Grifol, he had a conversation with Eloy and said that Andrew Benintendi is here to play left field and he plays it well. I think that's a net positive for our Chicago White Sox. There was a comment that was made that could be construed one of two ways that Eloy Jimenez may see some playing time in, in right field for your Chicago White Sox in the 2023 season. Now, that made me want to gouge my eyes out with a fork, um, just sort of reading that through the computer screen, because obviously, as you said, this was an untelevised event. I don't know why these are untelevised either, Steve. I, I, I share that grievance with you. I think that fans want more White Sox content, and on a January day, give me a press conference at least. Uh, it, it makes no sense. But back to Eloy Jimenez, Manning right field. I, I got man. I got a little man online today, and I went to you. Uh, no, no. I got a little man online today, no. and I went and I wrote about it because it was very therapeutic for me to express my displeasure with the idea of Eloy Jimenez ever trotting around right field. And over the course of me writing the article, which you can find over at oddtapsportsnet.com, it started to, you know, kind of bake in that, you know, you're probably not going to see a lot of Eloy Jimenez in right field regardless um, because you, A, have Oscar Colas potentially coming up and joining the Chicago White Sox at some point this year. My baby boy's been working hard out there uh, to maintain, uh, you know, his physical form and, and his his great defense out in right field, Gavin Sheets. And then you also potentially may have a free agent acquisition that may or may not be made. We'll get to some of that talk later. But Steve, thoughts on Eloy Jimenez potentially patrolling right field? Sounds like a bad idea to me. Just a, just a fucking bad idea. My thoughts are this. They're very simple. They're very concise. I'm old enough to remember when Jose Abreu was taking ground balls at third base. And people had a little mini uproar over it. Did Jose Abreu ever see third base during a major league game for the Chicago White Sox? No. Okay. No, he Next did qu- not. Next question. Well, I will put this into perspective here, Steve. As of right now, we don't have a bona fide right field option. And I will say that it's it's sort of a question mark heading into this year. I'm a little nervous that Eloy is going to talk his way into getting a glove and going out into right field. And I really hope that that's not the case with this, with this team. It, it, it does not benefit us to have Eloy Jimenez even start out there one or two games in, in April while you're waiting for a Colas call up or just fucking around with it. I'd rather see Billy Hamilton. I'd rather see Gavin sheets. I'd rather see, if you have to stick Andrew Vaughn out there for a game, I'd rather see anything than Eloy Jimenez potentially injuring himself and losing the best bat that we have in the middle of this lineup. That's what I, that's what makes me nervous because we've seen crazier things. Yeah. I'm just not concerned about it at all. To be completely honest, I feel like that was just kind of one of those things that 
Pedro Grifol said publicly just to kind of be nice to Eloy. I mean, I think he expanded very much on his position that Eloy is going to be the full-time DH with this team. Um, I think that's pretty clear here at this juncture. So I, I feel like, you know, and, and you know this as um, an owner of two humans, that sometimes you, you say things just to try to make people feel better that are close to you. I feel like it was just kind of one of those things. Yeah, I'm I'm still a little nervous, Steve, that we might see some stuff that we don't want to. Um, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world to give him reps, a la Jose Abreu, like you said, in practice, training, all that good stuff. I just don't want to see it on my baseball team in 2023 because that would mean that we just basically moved Eloy Jimenez out of position, and it would it would really irk me a, a little bit. He, he needs to be the DH, and I want 500 at-bats from Eloy Jimenez this year. I don't know about you, but I think that with 500 at-bats or plate appearances for Mr. Jimenez, you might see 30-plus home runs come off of his bat, and you want the ball to go far because you know if the ball goes far, the team's going to go far. So there you go. That's my that's my rationale here. Maybe you're the one talking me off the ledge, but that, that gave me a miniature heart attack when I read that today. Multiple sauces have confirmed that when the ball goes far, the team does indeed go far as well. And you mentioned, you know, Eloy getting 500, 500 bats to hit 30 to 35 homers. Listen, there might be some guy in some deep, dark corner of the interwebs that was invented by Al Gore that may have even said at some point that he thought Eloy was going to be the first player in franchise history to hit 50 homers. I don't know who would say something like that, but I feel like it might be out there. We might have to roll the tape know. back and figure out who said that. Um, I I can't remember, but we might have to roll the tape back, figure out who said that because, I mean, that would be wonderful. I mean, this this franchise desperately needs power right now. Um, especially losing Jose Abreu. Interesting thing that I sent over in our group chat right before we started. Did you see what came out on Fangraphs, um, this offseason tracker, Steve? I, I did, and I, I was fascinated by that a little bit. First and foremost, you actually put Fangraphs into your search bar? No, I saw a tweet with this. Oh, I, saw a t- okay. I saw a tweet with this, but actually, no, Steve, I, I do actually visit fan graphs from time to time. I am more of a baseball reference guy, but uh, I do look at fan graphs every now and then. We have had Dan Zimborski on the show. We've talked to Zip Projections. That's true. I, I know what fan graphs is, um, but uh, if we're looking at this, this this lost war that uh, you know all the kids are talking about these days, um, it's slightly concerning to me. Um, with this this graphic that I'm looking at right now, that the White Sox have lost, you know, more than they've gained this offseason. And yet you're sitting here, we're, we're trying to feel good about this Andrew Benintendi thing. I feel like a lot of this is Jose Abreu and maybe a little bit of AJ Pollock. I'm trying to figure out where we lost all of all of this. So if you all if of you these look, wins. Yeah. So obviously I Abreu accounted for four of those um and then you have john cueto in there as well there you go that's another um, one so you know that was i want to say 
you know, two and a half or three, three right there. Did not realize um, he was, I mean, he was great, but I, I guess I didn't really look and, at the exits. And Elvis Andrews might have been one and a half to two wins in the very short time that he was here himself. Yeah, that's, that adds up real quick. That's a lot of quality baseball players that uh, have left the organization. Now it does say that they, uh, they picked up, I think it was a potential uh, 2.9 right there. And that's probably your Andrew Benintendi, and that's about it because I don't think Clevenger – I haven't looked at any of their individual um, projections really yet. Um, I did see the Zips graphic come across at one point, but I, I can't remember what we had on Clevenger. I did not think it was anything near two. So I would yeah. assume that Andrew Benintendi is the pickup there and a, a little some change are coming from Mike Clevenger. That doesn't feel like a finished product to me. No, no, it uh, certainly does not. And I think that lends itself to some of Rickon's commentary um, that took place at the press conference again that no one was able to see here because. Can I know, set Can I set the table with this too, Steve? Because you have. Pedro, wait a minute. Set, uh, set the what? Set the table. It's Rickon's table. Oh, We're not oh, setting tones. Oh, We're oh, setting the table. Oh. I always thought that, listen, you know, new year, new me, all that. Maybe you want to hashtag set the tone. No, we're setting Rick Hahn's table. Okay. We're just setting the table right now. We can set the tone in a minute. But let me set the table here. This is some Pedro Griffol. I also have an article about this one over at ONTAP Sportsnet. Griffol was on a a podcast, the Baseball Isn't Boring podcast, um, which is uh, Joe Kelly pet project, uh, if uh, you're not familiar with it. Um, and Griffol was talking a little bit about how he has a lot of confidence in this team and this roster. Um, he likes the fact that they're going to sit through the Houston Astros ceremony. I think that that's, that's perfect. I am old enough to remember, Steve, the Chicago Blackhawks watching the uh, LA Kings uh, raise a banner um, and then going on an absolute tear um, in 2015. I think it's, it's, it's a good uh, omen to you know be part of those ceremonies and and take those in because not to be confused with Will Omen. No, not to be confused. Yeah, absolutely not. But I think from from a White Sox standpoint, I kind of like this too. I, I'm I'm agreeing with Pedro Grifol here in, in the one sense that if if there's anything for this White Sox team that might give them a little kick in the ass, it might be watching the Houston Astros you know receive their rings and and see what it's like to be a champion. I, I actually I do really like that attitude. Where I'm a little concerned is that we just talked about this graphic where the White Sox are seemingly in second to last place of, you know, detrimental off seasons that take you away from competitiveness. These are actual numbers that I have to look at right now. And then he goes on to say that, you know, if everything goes right, not if, when everything goes right, they're going to be there with, you know, Houston and, and New York in October and I just kind of feel like I, I lost all sense of reality here because they've got to be looking at this shit too, right? They have to see that these moves don't add up. Maybe they don't put as much stock in war or all of these other metrics that all of us fans do. But I would think with analytics and what they're looking at, they can also see that this team isn't as strong on paper as it was last year. And last year's team didn't do shit. So are we really relying on right now just – a different voice in the room with Pedro Grafol. Where are we at now? You can take it over with the Rick Hunt comments because this is sort of lost on me. It, it feels like too much speak without enough results. 
Well, as it relates to the war numbers, I think one aspect that people could possibly overlook with all of this is that you have some guys in John Cueto and Elvis Andrus that, let's be real about this here, when they were signed, did anybody reasonably think that you would get the level of production that the Sox got out of them? Realistically. Fair. I mean, I didn't think that John Cueto was going to be John Cueto. I, I I will say that I kind of thought that Elvis Andrews was going to come in here and play a professional game. I don't think that, you know, I did you imagine think, did that you he was going to go off the way that he did. Ex- no. Exactly. Did you think he was going to have the second most home runs on the roster from the time that he. No, signed? not at all. No, no, not, okay. not in any stretch of the imagination. And I know that there's also a health component to this as, as, as well where, you know, White Sox just stay healthy. But on the on the same side, Steve, I, I you are correct on those. I did not expect that out of either of those players, no. So, so I think that in some regards, you know, the front office probably is looking at it from the standpoint of can we reasonably expect to get this level of performance out of these guys once again? And are they, you know, for lack of a better term, trying to hedge their bets with, in their mind, creating more certainty. What world am I living in where you're sort of defending the front office here? I told you, new year, new me, all that this bullshit. Is, this is, the roles have reversed. I'm not happy with it. I'm not happy with it at all. Okay, okay, it, listen, do we want Do we want to revert back to, to 2022? Because I'll, I'll revert back. No, I'm going to be the negative one all no, year. No, uh, no, no, no. You know what? You know what? Let's go back. Let's go back one, one, one more time here. Let's go back. One, you talked earlier about the White Sox watching the Houston Astros get their rings. It's just going to be refreshing to know that the fucking manager in the Sox dugout will be awake to witness it. That's that's great. That's I'm you know, TLR didn't need any more ring ceremonies apparently. Um, man, it, I just I don't understand this. This is not a, this is not done. There's no way it's done. I, they have to do something uh, to, to at least make me feel like when Pedro Griffel gets on a microphone and talks about how he knows that this team is going to be great. We've got, we've got questions all over the place. Second base. We just had a, a healthy discussion about right field. I don't know what the plan is at backup catcher. Maybe it's, maybe it is Sebi Zavala. Um, our bullpen is always a super bullpen until it's not. I just, I still have way too many question marks heading into spring training, Steve. I think at this point, the two biggest areas that will potentially be addressed would be a veteran presence, whether it be in right field or at second base. And as I alluded to earlier, some of Rick Hahn's commentary at the press conference that Jerry Reinsdorf didn't want to bother to air on the network that he owns 40% of, um, I think was interesting, in particular when he said, the way we perceive ourselves is not as a finished product at this time. That statement right there. We're going into the, we're going into break down some Rick Hahn speak. Let's do it. That right there, coupled with the structure of the Andrew Benintendi deal with the eight million dollar salary for twenty twenty three plus the three million dollar signing bonus, so that's eleven million dollars. That lends itself to the belief and the hope. I would think that there is still a little bit more wiggle room to go out there and. At a veteran presence, whether it be at second base or in right field. You know, if it's someone like Adam Duvall who can fill in all three outfield spots that we've talked about 
on this show here. Um, you know, I just wrote the other day about, you know, what, what if maybe Elvis Andrus would be a, a reasonable fit to bring back at second I'm base. All, if, if I'm you all were, for if that. You were agreeable to that. I'm I, all for I, that. Yeah. And personally, I would feel a lot better about that because look, if he has the downward performance, um, you know, similar to what he had had prior to his time with the White Sox. Look, you probably just do it on a on a one year deal, and if you cut bait, then you give Lenin Sosa some more time to get some seasoning, whether it's at AAA Charlotte or in more of a reserve role. It's never a bad thing for young, unproven talent to have to hit their way into the lineup, and that is one of the things that I've talked about quite a bit. Um, I think it would behoove this team to try to create as much certainty as possible. Now, granted, a, a player like Elvis Andrus or even, you know, trading for someone like an Eduardo Escobar with the New York Mets isn't going to create a high level of certainty, but I think it would be more so than if you were to just plug Lenin Sosa in there. And again, and I say this as someone that I'm very intrigued by Lenin Sosa and the thought and the idea that he could be a long-term solution at the second base position. Yeah, I'm. I fully agree with one thing that you said here and I'll I'll reiterate that it's the fact that you want to create competition for some of these guys to have to earn their spot i mean i remember talking about this back in 2019 um you know going into that season with some of these same question marks and um it, it seems to have repeated itself over and over again namely in the right field slot um throughout this quote unquote competitive window, but for Sosa and for Romy, I, th I find it extremely intriguing that at this point, there is nobody there blocking them, even in that sort of like Jimmy Rollins type role, like you mentioned, um, make them earn that spot. It seems simple. Obviously the White Sox passed on Gene Segura. They passed on a couple of other options earlier this off season, and it's kind of led me to believe that maybe they're not going to make a move. They parted ways with Danny Mendick, who I thought, you know, obviously he got a contract from the New York Mets. I, I thought that he could have been a potential guy that you see in there. I, I don't think he moved the needle a lot. He did hit well last year um, for stretches, but that would have at least been a cheap name uh, to throw in this mix as well that had a little bit more major league experience than either of these guys. I'm just sort of curious what they do here. Um, there were a lot of decent options that didn't cost a lot of money. If Rick Hahn's saying that this isn't a finished product, they obviously didn't like those guys and the pickings are sort of slim. Um, is it Andrews? Is it, or are we riding into this with Sosa and Romy? Um, you know, that's a tremendous question. Here's another little wrinkle. So Jim Bowden, former uh, GM for the Cincinnati Reds and the Washington Nationals, um, writes for The Athletic now. He put out a piece here apparently earlier today where he talked to executives from all 30 teams and talked about and tried to get a sense as far as what one final move would make sense for each team. And the quote with it was the White Sox front office is focused on figuring out the second base position, 
which could even be resolved via trade or tapping someone on the current roster. Potential targets could be Brandon Lowe of the Tampa Bay Rays, Brendan Rodgers of the Colorado Rockies, Glaber Torres of the New York Yankees, or Cattell Marte of the Arizona Diamondbacks. So those are some some new and some different names in there. Uh, Jim Bowden doesn't necessarily have a great track record when it comes to these kinds of things. Tried to go pull that one up. I couldn't find it there, but... So, yeah. you know, it's it's interesting, and it, again, just kind of seems like there's a lot of smoke, um, again, coupled with the quotes from Rick Hahn here. Let's let's put our tinfoil hats on. Sure. Let's do it. Is, it. is it too early for tinfoil hat time? No, it's not. I mean, I think it's, uh, yeah, it's past 9 o'clock. We can, we can do this. Okay. okay. What if, in light of the Carlos Correa to the New York Mets situation, what if perhaps there's a deal in place for Eduardo Escobar that can't be executed until the Correa situation and the Correa contract gets ironed out? That's very tinfoil right there. It, it, is. it is very tinfoil. He was a name that the White Sox were interested in when he was a free agent. I'm old enough to remember when Eduardo Escobar played. For the Chicago White Sox. Really? I thought those were just photoshops. And I'm old enough to remember when he played his first game against the Chicago White Sox at Target Field in Canada South, late July of 2012. I may or may not have been an appearance there. Mm. You've got a long history with this individual. Steve, would you I mean would that seal the deal for you would you feel better about this this roster with escobar me personally if i had to pick between eduardo escobar or elvis andrus i know i'm going to get more power out of eduardo escobar but the defensive aspect of it i would feel a lot better with elvis andrus at second base versus eduardo escobar i don't think escobar can handle second base what would the cost be what would the cost be man that's what I, I kind of worry about it. You can go out and you can grab Andrews for what what do you think he's gonna make? Five mil next year? That's four or five million. Four or five think. million. You're gonna have to go give up an asset for Escobar. What's he gonna cost? The thing the thing I'm wondering about is would it potentially be, you know, maybe like a Joe Kelly for Eduardo Escobar because of some of the money components associated with that. You know, yeah, you can you can make that argument. If you if you, if, if you could make it, you're Jake, not taking Jake Diekman. Please, you're gonna have to give please and Diekman. I think. What if what if Rakan asked really nicely? Because I'm told all you have to do as a GM is just ask really nicely, and then things get done. Oh, okay. Uh you that's know, I don't know if that's gonna work very well, but I, I don't think you're gonna find a suitor for him, and I don't think it's the New York Mets. I don't know what they're not Bruce uh, Suter. Yeah, no, not Bruce. Not Bruce. Um, I just I don't think that gets it done. I don't even know if Joe Kelly really gets it done. I feel like they're gonna want somebody a little younger, and I'm a little worried about that. But you're right, there isn't there is a money component to all of it. I, I think I'm firmly in the Elvis Andrews camp here, Steve. That's that's the move I would make. He's familiar with the organization, he expressed interest in being here, which is important, at least on the surface of you know somebody who's willing to put up with the white Sox organization um you know he seemed to enjoy his time here and i I was a fan of his when he played um his baseball at 35th and shields he was an absolute professional he 
obviously went on a very hot run that probably skewed a lot of individuals uh, opinions on him. I think for a longer stretch, he might be not the same guy that White Sox fans would expect out of that signing. So temper expectations on it. But I think overall, you're getting a true veteran presence that we kind of both brought up earlier on, not to say that Escobar isn't a, a, a good veteran presence, but I think, I think overall Elvis really gelled well with this team. And I think that he would, uh, you know, be able to provide maybe some of that, a little veteran leadership that uh, Jose Abreu uh, is, is no longer going to be here to provide um, for some of these guys. And obviously has a history with most of them now having played here and filled in for uh, the guy that uh, blew the death punch to the Chicago White Sox season last year. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's that. But I think it definitely would make sense for Elvis Andrus to be a guy to plug into that role. The one question mark that I would ultimately have, though, is do he does he have offers to play shortstop on an, on an everyday basis? You know, and if that is something that he is intent on, I know he had mentioned at the end of the last season that had T.A. come back, that he would have been willing to shift over to second base. Is that something he would be agreeable to? Um, in an off season, or is he dead set on getting a, a gig as a, as a shortstop? Where's he going to play shortstop right now? You know, the, the one place that I come back to and think about is Atlanta with Dansby Swanson's departure from there. Um, you know, are they going to really go with Vaughn Grissom? Um, every day I know we're seeing videos on Twitter.com of him working with Ron Washington, who is widely regarded as the best infield coach in the sport. Um, is that something that a team that actually has serious championship aspirations and, and actually goes out there and tries to do things to seriously win a championship, um, would they look to bring in a guy in Elvis Andrus to you know finalize and kind of shore up that roster especially knowing that they were the organization that signed Elvis Andrews out of the Dominican Republic like 20 years ago I did not know that yeah I did not he, know that he went to I was going to say at least Oakland's off the table so he he went to he went to the Rangers as uh, one of the centerpieces of the Mark Teixeira deal baseball history with uh NWI Steve here on Sox on Tap Steve I, I'm I'm kind of fine with with either route. I just think that uh, I don't want to see any sort of overpay. I, I guess I'm being a little picky, but it it gives me some hope, and I think it should give everybody some hope. The way that Rick Hahn stated that they view this as still sort of a work in progress. Um, right field. Any sort of tinfoil hat theories that you have on, on right field? I know we touched on this earlier, but from a free agent standpoint or maybe a trade standpoint, obviously uh, Bowden said in his piece that the, they're more focused on sort of the second base stuff. But could we see any surprises here before spring training? I mean, I think Adam Duvall makes a ton of sense. Uh, you know, I've, I've talked about that and I'll, I'll drill that point home some more. Another name some people have kind of talked about a little bit um, in some of my inner circles, and the guy that does bring a little bit of positional versatility, Brian Anderson. No, not that Brian Anderson who caught the final out during the blackout to eliminate Joe Maurer, Justin Morneau, and the 2008 Minnesota Twins that I was at. I was at that ballgame. This you. Brian Anderson's just a namesake. 
he's 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 Brian Anderson light, you know, formerly of the um, Florida, Miami, you know, Dade County Marlins, whatever they're calling themselves these days here. Um Came up primarily as a third baseman, but can also play some corner outfield spot. So, you know, when Yohan Moncada grimaces. Sort of like going, a Jake Lamb. Well, he's got a little Jake Lamb in him, you know, you know a little, little, little bit. So, you know, when Yohan Moncada grimaces going down the down the first base line there, they could potentially have a fallback option to plug in at third base there when he, you know, is ouchie for two to three days at a time. So you that's mean another Larry Garcia is not going to get that start? I'm committed to not speaking his name in 2023. This is oh, – we're going to have to have a talk with our guy Jonathan um, <laughs> about that. This is a very slander-free zone. Um, As but, I always say, it's not slander when it's true. Yeah, well, we can we can deem it what we want to. Um, that is uh, – that's interesting. I, I like this Brian Anderson idea. I'm I'm a little curious, though, uh, to see what they actually wind up doing here. I think it's going to be a whole lot of nothing which is why I talked about, you know, the, the keep Eloy out of right field thing earlier. I think they're waiting for Oscar Colas and we'll see what happens there. Steve, uh, you had uh, talked a little bit prior to us hitting the record button here about uh, a pitcher in this organization who you want to extend. And I'm going to give you the floor here uh, to talk a little bit about that. Everybody knows who listens to this show, who reads my hashtag content, how I feel about Rick Hahn's asset allocation when it comes to the bullpen. Not just Rick Hahn, but I feel this way in general. Joe Sheehan, uh, who used to write for Baseball Perspectives, who's really the innovator of the Ball Go Far Team Go Far mantra. One of the other things that he talks about and he talks about regularly is you don't pay for saves specifically in the free agent market. That is one of the quickest ways to misallocate funds on your roster, particularly for a team that is not the New York Mets, that is not going to just spend whatever it's going to take to win. So in light of that, we got a guy on this roster who transitioned to the bullpen last year and did so with flying colors that I wrote about over at ontapsportsnet.com a couple, two, three months ago. Ronaldo Lopez, and this is a guy that I highlighted in the piece, and I compared him to another former failed starter who turned into a top-level closer, Wade Davis. The trajectories are very similar for these two guys. I think it would behoove the White Sox and Rick Hahn to get his little extension machine out, and as he typically likes to do during spring training, I think it would make a ton of sense for this team to get a deal done with Reynaldo Lopez because you've got two years left of Liam Hendricks. You've got two years left of Kendall Graveman. If you can extend Lopez now and do so at a reasonable rate, that is your closer of the future, in my opinion. I firmly believe the stuff that Reynaldo Lopez has. I think what we saw from his transition last year, this is a guy that can play up his repertoire in one inning bursts and do so in an effective manner to be a ninth inning guy. And I think that's what this organization needs to get back to doing is finding guys and, and not 
overpaying in the free agent market, which has unfortunately been something that has plagued this team for 15 years now, going back to the Octavio Dotel, Scott Linebrink deals of, of the past when Kenny was running the show. Everyone likes to think that Rick Hahn likes to just blow his wad on the bullpen. It's This is a White Sox problem for, for far too long now. And then obviously exacerbating it with the likes of Liam Hendricks, Kendall Graveman, et cetera. If you can take a homegrown and developed guy like Ronaldo Lopez that you successfully transitioned from a starter to a reliever, put him in the back end of your bullpen, I think it's going to make the roster machinations a lot more reasonable for this team and give them the famed flexibility to be able to put together a more efficient roster. Very well said, Stephen. Very well said. That was uh, beautifully articulated. And uh, I agree with most of it. I've been a Raylo to the bullpen guy for I can't even remember how many years. Um, yeah, he's he's just so good in in those short bursts. I've always kind of thought that you know he could potentially be a two inning relief reliever guy, almost in the same way that the Milwaukee Brewers were able to utilize uh, Hater for a while. Um, you know his stuff just it's so electric. Um, you know, one time through the order, uh, opponents seem to really have a hard time with him. And that was his biggest problem as a starter. The second time through the order was always, always an issue. Um, obviously he's got the stuff to pitch at the big league level. You saw him last year in some high leverage spots that, uh, even garnered some talk about, you know, Liam Hendricks, uh, being traded this off season. We talked a little bit earlier about guys who, uh, are of the younger variety, uh, coming in and having to work and earn their spots. This is sort of that exact same scenario. Reynaldo Lopez has been a guy in this bullpen. Um, you know, he doesn't have the the big dollar contract behind him. He's not going to get those spots uh, as much, but he's earned them. You've seen him go out and earn that shit. Um, and, you know, over the course of last year, I think a lot of White Sox fans, myself included, um, really saw him take his biggest leap in terms of development um, in some of those high leverage situations for the White Sox, um, I expect him to be a, a force in that bullpen again this season. And uh, yeah, I mean, the the extension machine, if Rick Hahn's got it, there's not many guys on this roster right now that that really need an extension. I think that Reynaldo Lopez um, is the guy that you would go out and uh, hand a little bit of cash to to get to stick around past those two years, Steve, uh, because I want an additional two years on the, on the back end of that at least. Uh, with Reynaldo Lopez. So that's that's some interesting stuff that you're bringing to the table here. If nothing else, I try to just, you know, get the wheels turning up there for our listeners. Yeah, that, that's that's some good stuff. Steve, it's about 42 minutes into this. I uh, I don't have much else in, in White Sox land. Um, you got any final thoughts for me? My final thoughts are this. Earlier today, I booked my flight to go out to Phoenix, Arizona, to spend some time at Camelback Ranch, taking in Cactus League action. We all know you must go out there and you must hashtag set the tone during Cactus League play. I will be there in attendance, live, looking to see how the tone gets set. It's going down. That's beautiful, Steve. I mean, it's 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 that time of year. It is it is definitely that time of year. I think we are about six weeks away uh, from some actual baseball being played. It's it's 
gone by rather quickly, Steve. I, I must say uh, this has been a, a quick offseason. I think comparative to last year, um, this has been nice. I, I've I'd forgotten for a little bit that uh, we had a, a nice little lockout um, that uh, kind of prevented us from being able to talk as much baseball um, and actual movement throughout the league during these months. So I'm thankful for that, Steve, as we enter this new year because – uh, I enjoy talking White Sox baseball with you and, and Johnny and the rest of the Sox on tap crew. And I'm, I enjoy the listeners coming in and chiming in uh, via the YouTube channel. Uh, that said, my final thought, go subscribe to the ontapsportsnet.com YouTube page. Um, I see a couple of people in there right now. Thank you, Scott, for throwing a comment in there. Um, but uh, I, I would like to see the YouTubes grow for our postgame shows uh, this upcoming season. And uh, leading up to that, uh, we've got some spring training to talk about. Steve's going to be there. Uh, we don't know if uh, our guy Johnny's going to get down there. I might try and get down there, too. I've never been to spring training, Steve. Here it's a wonderful time. Um, but uh, I've got to make a, a make a voyage down there eventually to uh, to the old Arizona and see the White Sox play in March. It's a magical time of year. You know, it's going to be warm. Listen, the, the weather in the Chicagoland area during the month of March can be very unpredictable. Um, the date of my establishment might have been at some point during that month. And the volatility that comes with it from a weather standpoint is really something else. There have been years where it has snowed on my birthday. And then there are some years when it's been in the seventies and the eighties, you just don't know what you're going to get. But the one thing that I do know is that in Arizona, whether you're in Glendale, Goodyear, Scottsdale, Peoria. Not not Peoria that's near us, correct? Not no 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 not Peoria, Illinois. You don't want to go to Peoria, Illinois in March. I can I can hashtag confirm that. I've I've had to make that journey and let me tell you it's not enjoyable. This Peoria is better. This Peoria is much better. Hashtag and, confirmed. Oh, it's that's hashtag double confirmed. You know, you're gonna always, get you're gonna always get, reporting the facts. You're gonna get Blue skies, sunshine, warm weather, be able to wear some shorts, T-shirts, maybe have a couple two-tree pops, you know, and it's just a grand old time. Well, Steve, we're looking forward to uh, seeing you live reporting down in sunny Arizona uh, this coming March, and uh, we've got some World Baseball Classic that's going to be played. Uh, around that time, you know, you get some Lance Lynn out there. You're going to try and take in a World Baseball Classic game if they're still being played while you're down there. I'm not sure what your exact dates are, or your itinerary, uh, but uh, I do know that Lance Lynn will be uh, pitching for Team USA, I think, sometime around the 11th of, of March. So I will be uh, getting to Phoenix on Sunday the 12th. And ironically enough, the White Sox have an off day on Monday the 13th. So who knows? Maybe I will get to go see the big bastard pitching for Team USA. Who knows? It could happen. There you go. We'll see uh, how Team USA shakes it out uh, down there. I think that that's where they're starting. Uh, but I, I do believe the tournament finishes up over in Florida, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, if you can catch some of that action. Uh, be sure to uh, to share with uh, all the listeners on an upcoming episode how cool it is to go watch the World Baseball Classic. Uh, Steve, that's really all the time we have for today. Uh, this has been another fine edition of the Socks on Tap podcast. 
You can find us on Twitter at Socks on Tap, on YouTube at On Tap Sports Net, on the web, ontapsportsnet.com. You can find Steve at NWI underscore Steve, myself at Tony on Tap. Steve, it's always a pleasure talking White Sox baseball with you. White Sox forever. White Sox for life. <laughs>